0: Randy Newman, in his book, Questioning Evangelism, that Pastor just referred to, uh, mentioned, I'd like to read two paragraphs from his book. A diverse audience, though, requires diverse approaches. If Jesus teaches us anything about evangelism, is that he used a variety of methods with a variety of people. An evangelistic approach, though any re- evangelistic approach, requires three skills. The first and most basic involves declaring the gospel including the ability to clearly and concisely articulate the message of salvation. Declaring the gospel also includes the sharing of one's own story or testimony. Every Christian needs fluency in articulating how the Lord changed his or her life and the difference that change makes daily. Secondly, he writes, evangelistic skill is defending the gospel. And the third skill is Building the Foundations of Declaring and Defending the Gospel. That skill is called Dialoguing the Gospel. We will tonight talk about, tonight and next week, talk about the main or the first skill in how to share the gospel and approaching um, people that don't know Christ as their Savior. How do we share it with them? Then in the weeks later, as we continue our evangelistic series and as we get into our next series of apologetics, we'll answer the next two and kind of address those a little bit too. I want to state clearly, lest I be accused, and it can be right to a degree there's such an accusation, at least in my past, that I'm not trying to give something tonight that's to be memorized and it's to be robotic. But I am giving something tonight that should be memorized. (laughs) Um, I don't want it to be something that you sit down with a person like I did could have today and go through button one, two, three, four, boom, and then you're pressing a person for a decision. But I think we need to at least know the major concepts of the gospel and to be able to share them. And then we have a whole bunch of different ways, as much as each person that sits before you, different paths by which it can be approached. But I think there are key concepts that have to be shared. And hopefully that'll become clearer as we work through. I want to look just for three or four minutes at these three concepts heart. Contacts and knowledge. Three aspects of sharing the gospel. Um, I start with heart very briefly, but really building off of what Pastor shared last week. We're not going to care about our context. We're not going to care about sharing the gospel and having the knowledge if we don't have number one. Really, even before that is that we know Jesus Christ personally as our Savior. But now that we know him, assuming that we put our faith and trust in Christ, unless you have the heart for it, we're never going to care about Numbers 2 and 3. What I mean by, by the heart of it is I think of in Matthew 9, uh, where it says, And the Lord, lo- the Lord looked upon the multitudes, and what? He had compassion. And then it goes on to talk about the condition of the people. That's why he was so moved. But unless we have the Lord's heart, unless we see people, people and their spiritual condition, We'll be just cold and we'll be stuck with the externals and say, oh, he has a flyer shirt on, or I wish, you know, they would have done better. We won't get into the heart as to where a person really might be. Or we think of Luke 19, unless we have the heart of Jesus, where it says that he came to what? Seek and do what? Save the lost. That that was his mission. That's why he came. Uh, may we be like Christ, like Paul, and not like Jonah. Then secondly, contacts. Unless we have contacts, unless we have people that we're getting out of our house and interacting with, we're not going to have anybody. We could have the greatest heart, which, of course, will drive us to meet people. But we need to have contacts. With whom do we share the gospel? Um, we need to build a network of relationships, network of people that, that we're praying for, people that maybe we even have their names on our desk. Maybe we've gone around the block and you've written their names down and their number. Um, people that you're trying to share the gospel with. Your, your lost family. Um, lost um, friends, lost neighbors, work associates, people that don't know, don't know Christ. A good question, and we'll address it a little bit later. Do we know the names of our neighbor? Um, Do we know the names of our neighbor three doors down? Are, Are we involved in their lives? You know, why is it that I'd like to make a statement, and you might be the exception, but why is it that most Christians don't build bridges into their neighbors' lives? Why don't we have the heart that we're really consciously, intentionally trying to build relationships so that we can share the gospel? You know, the longer you're a Christian, the longer we are a Christian, we have some obstacles to overcome. Number one is we get into this bubble of of Christianity, they become our friends. So I run from my Christian home to my Christian activity, go back to my Christian home, run to my Christian small group study, go to my Christian D group study. I'm involved in all of these ministries, so we're just involved in less in the world. And then number two... with neighbors or with people, we're not finding ways or we're lifted out of our normal contact with unbelievers. So not only don't we know the people, we just don't have the normal contact with them. We're not involved. So we really need to find creative ways to share the gospel. I had a conversation with a young man once, and I was on the staff of this this church and met with with him and he referred to the pastor, and I remembered the message, having spoken on election, and that's why they were leaving the church. Because he spoke on an election, and they didn't believe in that. And I tried to defend and explain that our pastor was very evangelistic and examples of him sharing the gospel, but they, he just wanted to hear nothing of it. So I took a stab. I said, tell me. Um, I'll say his name is Fred. Tell me, Fred, um, do you know your neighbors? He didn't answer. Do you know your neighbors three doors down? Tell me the last time you had your neighbors over for dessert and try to share the gospel. And I said, you see what you're... And he had no answer. He said, you could have all the theology you want. You could be Armenian, and it's up to you to share the gospel. Show me your theology on the street. Be active. Be involved in sharing the word. Don't, don't stick be, sit behind some ivory tower. Um, so are we showing it on the street? Or are we involved? And just some questions before a pastor comes in a moment to lead in prayer requests. Um, what was the last time that we really tried that? You know, to, to have your neighbors over for dessert. You know, to have them over for dinner. Maybe that's a little bit intimidating, but may, maybe dessert. Um, maybe you'll have some neighbors like, like I have three doors down from, from the church uh, that way. And knocking on his door. We've been there four times, and most recently, um, two weeks ago, and inviting him to our house again. Before it was, his boy was always playing baseball and now it was, well, you know, I work seven days a week. You know, but keep trying. Keep trying, trying to build bridges. We want to invite him over for dessert and game night. I mean, what's more exciting than being with a Baptist pastor, right? Um, but maybe we, maybe we keep trying. Maybe we be creative. Um, linger on the front lawn. You know, I think the mentality of a lot of people, now it may not be exactly, but here is Joe Christian driving home from a long day, He's two doors down. He hits the, the garage door opener. The door's up. He pulls the car in, and before it's halfway through, he's already hit the button, so by the time he's getting out of, the, getting out of his car, the garage door is down. Okay, maybe that's a little overdramatic. But, but do we linger on that front lawn? Like you've been on there for an hour now, just puttering around, praying, God, please, bring a neighbor out that I can, I can build relationships with. You know, I... We lived in a cul-de-sac in Michigan that it was easy building rapport. The guy next door to me was, was uh, he's an atheist, but probably more like an agnostic. And we invited him over multiple times. He never came over. And I said, Lee, what's the deal? Don't you, I, I mean, I love just teasing. him. Don't you like me? He says, Dave, if you wouldn't understand, I've talked more with you than any other neighbor. But that didn't make me feel good. I just wanted him come over. You know, but that we would just keep trying. Merge your universe, universe with theirs. Get involved in their world. Have them over for s'mores. Um, talk on the front lawn. Get some Pepsi or Mountain Dew. Um, and linger and, you know, sit on the front lawn and chat. Or have them over and play croquet or whatever your neighborhood's into. But may, may we have the heart. May we develop the, the context. And then lastly, the knowledge. We want to be working on our heart. God calls us to be an evangelistic church. Um, God calls us to have a church where not that we want to give glory to us, we're so foaming at the mouth with excitement what God's done that we want to just stand and give praise. I just want to tell you about a neat conversation I had this week with somebody. You know, let's pray for them right now that, that God would use us to see many people come to know Christ. Well, we want to work on the knowledge. How do you share the gospel? What what should be, you know, how should be our approach? I guess I'm just going to give you, and I'm going to overstate it too many times probably, that it's not going to be just some regimented um, boxy formula that we're trying to come up with. In fact, I'm afraid that we're not going to get very far tonight. Um, But I I want it to, to be understood. If we know about grace, we know about that heaven's a free gift, and because of man's condition and who Christ is in faith, They're the concepts of the gospel. But now we have a thousand ways to weave that into our conversations. Pastor.
1: Um, if you don't have a card, there are more cards out there and what we want you to do is just write down the name of the person that you're you have contact with and preferably someone that you're praying for not because it's not. Everybody's salvation isn't important. But if you have someone that you actually can have a relationship with or talk to that you have some sort of contact with, you know, an old saying was there's no impact without contact. So if you don't have any contact with them, you personally won't be able to impact them. And that's who we want you to really go after and pray for. So if you pick up one of those cards, fill it out, and not just fill it out to do it, but to keep it in your Bible, in your prayer time in the morning when you read Scripture, uh, I can tell you that praying for someone who's lost every single day makes a huge difference on how you see them, love them, and go after them. And prayer is a huge factor in reaching people with the gospel. And can I say one more thing before we actually do pray? And that is, um, read the scriptures for some instruction about how you pray for lost people. I know a lot of times we can pray, so-and-so doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would get saved. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, and that's simple and that's fantastic. But the Bible offers so much more detail about that and so many different things about how people get saved. You know, in Acts 16, Lydia, it says, her heart, God, the Lord opened her heart to what Paul was saying. That's a great prayer. Lord, open their heart because you know their hearts are closed. And that, you know, and the light shines on them and they understood. So, you know, people are in darkness and that God would shine the light into them. You know, people are in in spiritual death, Ephesians 2. So pray that God that you would give them life, that they might awaken to their need of Christ, into the, the gospel. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But, you know, people who are lost, if you read uh, in John's gospel, are spiritually deaf at the end of chapter 8 in John's gospel. So, you know, people are Deceived, and they need to hear the truth. I mean, there, there's so many things about people, and, and, and usually a lost person has one of those things that is really particularly obvious about them. The darkness they're living in, the deception that they have, they're just deaf. they're just completely uninterested in anything that uh, the Lord or the gospel has to say. And I challenge you, when you take up that prayer card and pray for the individual, even as we pray a little bit tonight, that you'd pray that way. Pray for them by name. Pray that God wouldn't just save them, that he would use you to do it and pray for them very particularly and specifically about how God can reach into their lives and meet their spiritual need and uh, whatever form it takes that need that need takes form the greatest so if you would just bow your heads and hearts in a word of prayer and and tonight would you think of that one person if you have your card on you still please do if not one person that you have contact with that you would say by name I I need to you know what and I'm going to pray about them every day and I want to have an opportunity and be given opportunities and I want to pray particularly tonight uh, for one of those uh, ways that we talked about that God would reach them with the gospel and we're going to take just a minute or two to do that and then I'm going to pray out loud as well. Heavenly Father we pray for people in our church tonight like Tom Kerwin Lord thank you for his progress that he's not in ICU anymore, he moved to a room and just thank you for the advancements and health that he has made even this we pray would be part of the mission that you put him on as Paul wrote from a Philippian prison the things that had happened unto him happened under the furtherance of the gospel Lord Hospital beds, surgeries, funeral homes, grocery stores, restaurants, they're all by your design. May we see every person that we meet, every conversation we have as a possibility for the furtherance of the gospel, that they're not accidents, they're appointments. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we think about individuals that we have contact with that need you desperately. They're headed to a Christless eternity in a real place called hell. And it's eternal. Father, may we not just hear academically with ears tonight that store and hearts and minds that store up information, but Lord, give us a passion for your glory because when we do, we will have also a passion for the souls of men and women, people from all the nations. Someday, someone from every tongue, tribe, and people, and nation will be around your throne to give you the worship and the praise and the honor and the blessing that you deserve Father, may we go after them now, knowing that you have such a love for all the nations. God, I pray that you would help us to have that same passion, that same love, that same desire, that we, like our Lord and Savior, might constantly live every day on mission with you. Use us in ways that we never thought possible, and may we be better witnesses and evangelists uh, for you and for your kingdom, because we've been together tonight. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Let's assume that you're spending time with an unsaved friend, that you've been able to build a relationship with him, you've been praying for, for their salvation, you've been intentional in your contact with them, and that you have an opportunity um, to share the gospel, that the doors open in such a way that you're able to, and he's asked questions and he invites you in to go deeper. Um, and God brings any number even ways that we could get into this, whether it's them asking a question directly or you've had so much conversation with them. It's just at that point where um, there's numerous paths that we could take the gospel deeper with this person. Maybe it's a friend that you've been spending time with, and they know of your faith, and you've been talking a little bit as doors have been open. but there just seems to be that golden opportunity that the doors open a little bit wider. There might be an opportunity like they've had an acquaintance recently die, Um, When that happens, we all have people that die, and they seem to be taken back by that. Well, there are natural opportunities, and that's probably an easy one. But maybe we have the heart to actually then go a little bit deeper. Maybe we're talking about that that person, and and maybe we're so bold as to come right out and say, Hey, friend, are, are you prepared for eternity? What are your thoughts on that matter as you ask questions and they interact with you? Or maybe as you're looking at things that are going on in this world and maybe they're talking to you, maybe about all the tension in in our world, Um, tension in America. Maybe it's racial tension that's getting them razzed and upset about and they're talking. And maybe you could talk, you know, that bothers me with all this going on. And and then say, Can I? And I was talking to Lloyd today. He was a, a. black gentleman, and said, you know what I love about our church, and was telling them about the diversity in our church, and, and actually got a little bit into the, you know, all the tension in the world, but, you know, where we have, we understand we have a oneness in, in our relationship with Jesus Christ and our, in our bond, and so maybe that's an open door that you're able to, to get into, or perhaps um, your friend's so busy buying things, you know, and they're just buying things, or just more and more stuff, and you have such a close relationship with them, and you can say, hey, you know, is yeah, you have satisfaction with that stuff, all that stuff that you're getting? Once on a, on a golf course, this, this is a, a, um, more of a one-time, and this is what we're, we're not trying to have this emphasis on, a one-time contact. You've got to bring the whole load of concept, and you never see them again. We're talking more about relational. But this was a one-time relationship with, with guys. My dad and I were playing golf years ago uh, with these guys on a golf course, and these two young kids had just graduated from, from, uh, from schools in D.C., and we uh, were chatting with them, and they were talking about their, their, their dreams and all. Now, um, you know, I then said, well, what's next? He says, oh, we're going to get, you know, jobs and these great careers and these financials. Said, oh, that's, that's cool. Uh, what do you want to do next? He says, well, then well, I guess we'll get married with if, you know, we get girlfriends or something, and boom. I says, neat. What's next then? He says, well, then we'll be middle-aged, and, you know, then we'll start to settle down, probably be empty nesters. I said, what's next? He says, oh, then we'll retirement. You see where that's going. I said, what's next? It was a lifeline. It was quiet. And Dan and I just had a cool opportunity of talking to these guys, spending over an hour on the golf course and just going back and forth about our thoughts on that subject. But um, again, maybe it's somebody that's retirement, and they're, you know them, and they're retired, and they're talking about traveling the country and collecting seashells on the seashore. Uh, maybe you can just talk about you know is that the purpose of life then you know and then get a little bit deeper with them or maybe it's a health scare that they have and they're concerned about it and they're really frightful and they're they're uptight about that and and just say hey can, can we pray right now for that you know, you, you, people want to be prayed for in those kind of situations and for you to step in and you don't have to preach a gospel message and just identifying your care for them in the gospel and praying for them, um, opportunities that we have. You know, it might be another situation where life is coming apart in their their life. And just to be able to tell a story about Jesus. Hey, can I just tell you a story about my Lord that, and how he cares for people? And just whether it's a woman of issue with, you know, had a blood issue for 12 years or whether it's a widow of Nain coming out of the city Uh, Gates and everything was torn apart in her world, but just to show, tell a story of Jesus, of one that cares. And then as they listen, maybe they ask questions, you're able to go back and forth, and then you're able to come in at a different angle. Um, There are whole different ways, but um, the point is, may we share the gospel. Randy Newman, in his book, on page 37, if you're um, able to steal pastor's copy afterwards, says this, but without the context of God's holiness the horror of our sinfulness, the need for repentance, and the necessity of the cross, instead of just a guidebook to better behavior, will terribly misrepresent the gospel. People need to hear the bad news in our message before they can appreciate the good news. Not only do do the minds of unbelievers need to be persuaded, but also their knees need to buckle, end of quote. And that's a major thing that I want to emphasize tonight And. I wish we had another hour together, that we need to be sure that we preach their need for Christ or share it with them um, as a heavy emphasis. In fact, I would even be so bold to say we should never preach grace until we preach their need for Christ. We don't want to talk about Christ, at least I don't, um, Even I might have different angles you know, love of Christ and I cares for them. But I'm not going to talk about their, well, you could accept Christ right now. You know, Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you just pray and accept him, they need to understand their need for, for Christ. I, I think even recently here in the testimony that you share with Thomas, getting to the point where he was just broken and he understood that his life was a mess. It wasn't work with, working with him fixing it. That he needed something when confronted with the gospel truth. He realized that I'd be a fool not to. So there comes then repentance and then salvation, but people need to understand their need for Christ, not just to get them to pray a prayer. Um, Turn with me for a moment in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, verses 16 to 22. You're familiar with the story. We'll not read all of it. Behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? You know, most people, when they hear that, man, I mean, they're pumped. I mean, they just ask, what must I do to have eternal life? Or, you know, you just need to, you know, that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again. That's what you have to do. We jump right into that. But, but Jesus doesn't go there, and he has something up on us, many things on us, one of them being that he was omniscient. He could see this person's need. But notice what he goes after. And he says, a pastor, I think, already referenced it. Um, he says, um, "What he, he keep the commandments." Then in verse 18, the man said, which ones? And Jesus lists all of these commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not. So he lists all of these commandments, and the man is proud of what he's done. He says, I'm I'm keeping those. What is he not realizing? What is the man not seeing? He's not understanding that he is a what? Sinner. He's not getting it. I've kept all of these. So now the Lord really tightens the screws and he said, well, that's great that you kept them all. Um, one commandment that he didn't give, the first four are vertical, the next six are, are horizontal. So he picks up the last six of the horizontal ones. He says, all right, great. Go out and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, now, uh-oh, now he's a problem because the passage says he was very wealthy. So he went away sad. He went away without eternal life because he wasn't realizing that I am a covetous man. I'm one that's greedy. I'm one that's a sinner. I need what he's offering. I need him as my Savior. But he's not getting that quality. He's not seeing that need in his life. So he walks away because he thought that he kept it all. What good thing must I do to have eternal life? Well, what he might have to do is understand, confess his need for a Savior. But he was pretty arrogant. Well, I'm keeping the letter of the law external, this legalist. I've kept the law. Then Christ happened to hit one. Christ made a frontal attack on this man's weakness. And that weakness, that attack was that he was covetous, he was indulgent, he was materialistic. He was a sinner, and he wasn't willing to admit that. A question that that I've often asked, and again, um, I'm not wanting you to memorize gimmicks or things, and I didn't ask it of Lloyd today, of the man today that I I spoke with, Um, but when I've gotten to know a person and we've been going back and forth in questions and just feeling them out, a question I'll often ask him is, is um, what are your thoughts about eternity? Um, if you were to die right now and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Or or maybe what do you think are the entrance requirements to heaven? Or how do you have a relationship with God? Or, you know, what's the purpose of church? Why are you going? I'm trying to find all of these things so that I could connect his thinking to to a relationship. Again. Um, I'm not, we don't want to make this a one and done thing. It's just ways, different angles. And if you get at that point to be able to find, this is what I'm after. I want to listen to them. I want to ask them questions because this is the main thing I really want to know. What are you trusting in? That's what I want to find out because I want to be kind of like a doctor, diagnose their situation. Do they need Christ? What are they trusting in? Uh, And I ask questions, just go back and forth to see what their what they're, what they're heart, what they're leaning upon. So if you're able to ask that kind of a question, and then, well, you know, I guess I would say because I'm a, a pretty good person, or because I've done this, or I've gone, you know, and all that I've tried to, to accomplish, listen to what they're trusting in. So I want to go through a couple of points tonight. First of all, I want to talk about grace, and this may be about all we get to in the next 10 minutes, as I wish I had a, had another half hour. Um, if I've not been clear, let me, let me say it one more time. Before we can talk to a person really expecting them to put their trust in the Lord, they've got to know that they need him as their Lord. Before we can invite a person, and, and you know what I'm attacking? I'm attacking easy believism. Uh, I've been in this church and have opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord that had accepted Christ, um, but it was just easy believism. You know, so, so we're not after just a little prayer, you know, that somebody walks an aisle and we take them to a back room and, um, oh, I know I need the Lord. Well, you know, just, just understand we all need Christ and he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Why don't you just pray this after me? You know, I, Harry Smith, I, Harry Smith, understand I'm a sinner, understand. We need to really listen to them. We need to really get in and make sure because we're not after notches on our belt. Uh, we're after people's souls for all of eternity. Um, so really understand you know, what they're trusting in. We want to really drive home the point that heaven is not earned. So often I'll begin there. You know, I'll try to come, and I think that's really where the Lord was beginning in, in Luke chapter, um, Matthew chapter 19. Um, so I begin with, you know, I, want, I want them to understand that heaven is a free gift. I'm really attacking right here. And again, do I need to say it for a fifth time? There are different angles that we can approach it. But it ought to be somewhere in the conversation that we're stressing that that heaven is not something that's earned. Because that's their foundation. We get it, right? There's only two religions in the world. Right? Only two beliefs in the world. One group of religions believes, I get to heaven by what I do. Okay? They all could be put in there. And over here, there's one other system of belief. I'll get to heaven by what Jesus Christ has done. So we want to attack this, this fortress over here. We want to bring in Scripture. We want to bring in Jesus' stories. We want to bring in all that we can to show that, that it's not by what man can do. Okay? We want to get to the point where they're the thief on the cross and they see the righteousness of Christ and their own need and their own immorality and dirtiness and where they cry out, Lord, today, remember me. All right? But they have to get to this point. So. Um, This is just one road, but there's probably another 128,000-plus roads that you could take. Um, But heaven is a free gift. I like to to stress that and for them to understand that. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, We're pressing the point here that we're quietly trying to attack their belief and work system. And there's a whole lot of verses that you could bring in. There's a whole lot of stories that you could bring in. Um, I like the Luke 18 story. Here's Jesus, and the Pharisee and the tax. He tells the story of the Pharisee and a tax collector. You know, if it's, they think it's something that they can do, just take time and tell them a Jesus story. You know, there was these two great people. You know, we might say this one person was a pastor. And there's this other person, that, and talk about all the things that the pastor does. You know, he prays, and he does all of this, and he he fasts twice a week, and he gives money to the poor. That's what the Pharisee does. Um, talk about what the Pharisee is, you know, that he's a religious rule keeper, and he's very precise in what he does, and he's considered a high, high position and when people, when he walks by people, people go, oh, I was just in the shadow of a Pharisee, kind of a thing. Now talk about this other guy that's a traitor. He's, he's as low as you could get. He's a tax collector. He's hated by the Jews. He's this rebel that's for filthy, greedy gain has turned on his people. He's a traitor, not a rebel. He's a traitor and he's become, works for the Romans, become tax collector. So tell that story. But what cause, what's, what, what happens at the end? And it happens in in, um, verses 13 and 14. I think Steve might have that on the screen. Maybe I didn't give it to you. Luke chapter 18, verses 13 and 14, where we see that... This man went down to this house justified because he repented of his sins. He just beat his chest and said, Lord, please forgive me. I am a sinner. And this other guy in the corner is trusting in his works. So you see, we're, we're driving home that point. It's not by what you can do. It's not by what you can accomplish. There's no amount of good works. Often I, I, I'll use an illustration. You know, and I'll just say, say you were to give if I'm talking to a dad and they might have young kids and if I know them, say if you were to give your son, um, what, what does he like? And they say, well, maybe like a, a certain game. Let's say you gave your son a game and they're pumped when they open it. it's, oh man, thank you so much. And he pulls out the game and then there's a piece of paper at the bottom. So what is this, dad? Well, mom and I just thought that we would do something special for you so you feel good about it. We, we gave you a list of some things you have to do to to receive this present. And he reads it. you had to wash the car in springtime once a week for three months. Had to start vacuuming the house for mom January through April. And you've got to do all these things. Is that a present? Is that a gift? Well, of course it isn't. And yet people will try to work their way to heaven. God says heaven is a free gift. That's not just Romans 6.23. What other verses do you know that talks about as a free gift? Any other verses? Ephesians 2.8 9. Right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, so whether we're, we're, we're talking about the rich man, whether we're talking about um, the thief on the cross who could do nothing, um, salvation was given to him, he couldn't earn it, or we're we talking about Paul's writing in epistles, heaven is a free gift, and we need to drive that point home. Um, that's, that's so important. You know, everything that we're used to in life. I mean, we work for everything, right? Um, Bo, look forward to you going out west with with me. We're going in five weeks. Bo's paid for his airline ticket and other stuff. Um, did you work for that money or did somebody, well, maybe somebody gave it to you, but I mean, you work for it, right? Or, wink, you have that fine truck. Was that a, Was that given to you or? You work for that. I mean, we're we're used to everything. We work for achievements, right? You work for your doctorate. You work for your MDiv degrees, and we kept going to school and the house you live in. we're, We're just used to working for everything. And so all of a sudden, there's this concept that something is given to us. It's not that we work for. You see, that's what we're trying for them to get. Heaven is not earned or deserved. It's not something we do. It's not so, and that's, that's a major point. See, easy believers going to run right by this. We're looking after decision. Pray some prayer. Boom, we got another one. My friend Bud Hall, he's with God in heaven, so I could talk about him. Um, he was a dear friend in seminary. Um, unfortunately, he passed away early. We, he was in Michigan. We pastored together on Long Island for some time. He finally came from the dark state of Michigan to um, the glorious place of Long Island. Long Island. Um, but Bud would bring kids out every other year. Would work in our day camp and come from Michigan, bring a group of kids out to work in our day camp on Long Island. And Bud would just get me. I want to say irritated. He would go to Walt Whitman Mall. The kids would come back. They would go out canvassing, sharing the gospel, come back, and they're all pumped about people that they led to the Lord and uh I'm thrilled that, he, that they have that heart, but I'm arguing with Bud. I said, Bud, you understand, you're just talking about easy believism. You get people, just kids that give some rote thing and then they're just sharing the gospel and you're, and you're showing all these cards, people that talk about follow-up, talk about genuine. I said, and, and he knew better. You know, we just had a disagreement on that and he would still go. Not that I'm against going out and sharing the gospel. Not that I'm against, you know, knocking on, I'm more for, having neighbors all over and trying to build a relationship. Um, but we're against easy believism. Heaven is, is, is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. We want to drive that home. And I just threw out a couple of verses, but if you want more to write down, um, there's Romans 3.20. That emphasizes that a lot. Galatians 2:16 says three times, "Not by works, not by works, not by works." A little bit later, maybe we could tie it in. But Galatians, you, we were referring to that to with um, a dear couple that we had lunch with short, a while ago. Um, Galatians 2:21. I do not make empty the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. This, the, the Bible's filled. Galatians is filled with it. Galatians 3.13. All of these verses that drive home this point, it's not by, by what we can do. We're going to show a, a, a skit in a moment, but let me say, um, I didn't get to where I wanted to get to. I guess I'm not too surprised. So in two weeks, I'll just have to keep bumping things back. So Pastor will have to speak less in two weeks and give me some of his, his week because um, I have next week that everything's going to just have to keep pushed back. But Jason and I are going to have a skit next week. Um, to open up, and it was to be over a couple things that we covered tonight, which we didn't quite get there. Um, so we look forward to that. Let me talk about Ray Comfort for a moment. We're going to show his, his um, um, four of his favorite testimonies that he had that he likes to show, um, has talked about. Please understand, um, I love his passion. I love what he does. His, uh, praise God for people like Ray. And I'm sure he's, he's intentional with neighbors and so forth. Uh, we're not saying... We're going to go out and have Ray Comfort approach in the sense of um, having one time and we're done, yet if we do that, praise God if we have that passion, but may that not replace our neighbors across the street, okay? Um, But I want you just to see what he goes after. He hits home hard that a person has to see their weight under the law before they see their need for Christ. So that's the whole thing of what I was trying to stress tonight, um, that we're not Quick to pray, quick prayer. We want them to see their need for Christ and for that to be clearly outlined. Don't move on and be anxious to talk about Jesus Christ as God the Son that he died on the cross. Let them see their need for a Savior. Thanks, Steve.
2: Have you ever had a near-death experience?
0: Yes, I have, twice.
2: Twice? What happened? Uh, Suicide attempt. You attempted suicide? correct why is that
0: I just don't see I just didn't see at the time anything going on I hadn't like no motivation nothing to help me feel part of this world
2: what do you fear most in life being left alone (laughs) do you believe what the Bible
0: says I do not I through all those all these past years Religion has been nothing but war for land,
1: and and up until this point, it's still war. Like there's no solution that countries in the Middle East have come to. You know, it's
2: just back and forth. Have you heard the saying that religions cause more wars than anything else? Yes, yes. (laughs) It's not true. Encyclopedia of Wars says only eight percent of wars were religious by nature, and two thirds of those eight percent were Islamic wars. The other 92% of wars were secular wars. Wars like the First World War, political. Second World War, political. 55 million deaths, Second World War. Vietnam War. Korean War. Nothing to do with religion. It's all to do with politics and land. And you know who the greatest killers of all are? It's atheists. You've got Pol Pot, you've got Mayo, you've got Lenin and Stalin responsible for 100 million deaths through atheistic communism. So the problem isn't communism or religion. The problem is mankind. Let me go back to the Bible. Has one message running through it. Do you know what it is? No, I don't. Old Testament, God promised to destroy man's greatest enemy, death. The New Testament tells us how he did it. Do you know, we've got an epidemic of suicide in our nation, 45,000 people actually taking their lives, and over half a million ending up in hospital, in the hospital, with attempted suicides each year. Every time you hear a siren, it could be someone attempting suicide. It's so common. One of the reasons uh, I believe so many are committing suicide is hopelessness. Nothing will make you want to commit suicide like hopelessness, having no purpose for existence, being told by education system that you're nothing but a primate. You have no worth. You're just part of an explosion that happened in space. The Christian message is, that you're created in the image of God, you have worth because you're not like a beast, you're not like an animal. You're made in God's image with a sense of justice and righteousness and truth. With the ability to appreciate music and enjoy color and beauty. And... Now tell me, what did God do for guilty sinners so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Give him a second chance? No.
1: Uh, I don't know.
2: Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world. Do you understand what happened when he died on the cross? No, I know. Has it made sense what I'm saying? Yes. You're gonna think seriously about this? Yes. Do you have a Bible at home? Uh, No. (laughs) Well, I'm gonna give you some literature. In fact, I'm gonna give you a little booklet now. It's so hot of the press, I forgot the name of it. You're not alone. What do you fear most in life? Being left alone. If there's a heaven, are you going to make it there? Are you a good person? I hope to. Well, let's do a quick little test. How many lies have you told in your whole life? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, probably a lot of little white lies. Now, Jesus said if you as much as look with lust, you commit adultery in the heart. Ever looked at a guy with lust? Yes. So, Alicia, by your own admission, you're a lying, blasphemous adulter at heart. And you've got to face God on Judgment Day, and we've looked at four of the Ten Commandments. Oh, my goodness. So if God judges you by the Ten Commandments on the Day of Judgment, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? I would ask for forgiveness. Do you think you'd be innocent or guilty on the Day of Judgment?
1: I probably would be guilty. Heaven or hell? I would ask for forgiveness and hope to go to heaven.
2: Well, the Bible says all liars will be cast into hell. It says no blasphemer, no adulterer will inherit the kingdom of God, so... Does it concern you that if you died today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell? I think God's a loving God, and I think He would, uh, he would see my heart. You know He does, and He sees a liar and a blasphemer and an adulterate heart. But if you're, if you're repentant, there's something you can actually do because of God's kindness to have all your sins forgiven. Do you know what God did for sinners? Any idea?
0: He sent his son Jesus Christ to the earth to
2: um, to die on the cross for the sinners. Do you understand the legal implications of that? The legal implications? Yeah, let me run it by you and see if it makes sense. And trust alone in Jesus Christ. When do you think you'll do that? <laughs> well... Um, Probably as soon as possible. Wouldn't everybody? So you're going to think about this? Yes. Thank do you have a Bible at home? Yes, I do. Can I pray with you without embarrassing you? No, not at all. So you believe in God's existence? I do. What's going to happen to you when you die? Where are you going, Harold? Hopefully heaven. Hopefully? <laughs> Hopefully heaven, if there is one. <laughs> do you think hell exists? I do. Are you going there? No. <laughs> uh,
1: I would be guilty unless I repent.
2: Heaven or hell? Uh, heaven. (laughs) Now, why would you be going to heaven when you've broken the commandments?
1: Uh, because I think by the time I do go, you know, whichever place I end up going at, you know, I'll be repentant by the end, and, you know, I know He he forgives all.
2: You know, the Bible says repentance can't save you, and you know why? Oh, wow, I don't. Well, you just look in a court of law, and let's say you've committed very serious crimes, Mm -hmm. like you've robbed a bank and you shot a guard on the way out, and the judge says you're guilty, and you say, yes, judge, I am guilty, but... I'm really sorry and I won't do it again. He's not going to let you go. He's going to say you should be sorry and of course you shouldn't do it again. And He's going to throw you in prison for breaking the law. And exactly the same applies to God. We should be sorry for our sins and of course we shouldn't do it again. So repentance can't save us. You need something else to save you from hell. You know the Bible says all liars will their part in the lake of fire. That's how serious sin is to God. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We trivialize sin. That's a white lie. Everyone tells lies. But no thief will inherit God's king, no blasphemer, no adulterer, so you're in big trouble on judgment day. Can you see that?
1: Yeah, I can, I, now that you put it that way.
2: The only thing that can save us is his mercy, and that's what he extends to us in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It does a lot. So, Harold, if you were to die today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell. There are two things you have to do to be saved. You must repent and trust alone in Jesus. When are you going to do that? Immediately. <laughs> can I pray with you? Yes, you can, without a doubt. <laughs> do you ever think about how amazing life is? I mean, look at the blueness of the sky and the sun. Do you ever think about the sun, how incredible it is? It's 93 million miles away, and it's just warm enough to ripen your tomatoes. Any closer, we're all dead. Further away, we're all dead. Do you ever think about how amazing that is? I do. So how did it get there?
1: I had to learn it myself. I had to go within. And nobody can teach it for you you have to go within. And you can unlock the secrets to the universe if your loyalty lies in the love for yourself. That's it.
2: You love yourself?
1: I do. You love
2: God? I love God. But in my mind, God is the entire universe. So I love the entire. It's called pantheism. There's a difference between the painter and the painting. So if you love creation, you're setting your affection on the creation rather than the creator and that's called inordinate affection if he judges you by the ten commandments i've looked at four you're going to be innocent or guilty guilty jesus paid the fine that's what happened on that cross mario if you're in court and someone pays your fine a judge can let you go did you know that you can say mario there's a stack of speeding fines here this is deadly serious but someone's paid him you're free to go and he can do that which is legal and right and just And God loves you so much, he became a human being, suffered and died on the cross to take the punishment for the sin of the world. That means you don't have to end up in hell. God can legally forgive your sins because he's the lover of your soul. And then Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. Mario, if you give up the battle and just say, God, I'm a rebel, and you repent and trust in Christ, God will forgive every sin you've ever committed and grant you everlasting life as a free gift. Do you believe what I'm saying? Yes. It's the gospel truth. I wouldn't lie to you. Are you ready to repent and trust in Christ? Yes. I pray with you.
0: God, may we have such opportunities in the days ahead. God, may our heart be so sensitive as Christ was moved with compassion. May our hearts ache because we haven't shared the gospel recently. May they burn with excitement when we've had an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that need him. God, we love you, and may we be found faithful to you. In Christ's name, amen.